Let's pray. Jesus, we long for that day when we see you face to face. And Lord, we are so grateful for the fact that every day you're at work on the inside of us, transforming us, changing us to be more like Jesus. And I pray that our time together would serve to that purpose, that end. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. My wife Kelly and I, before we had kids, we, we met as backpacking guides for Young Life, and we always enjoyed uh, being in the outdoors before we had kids. Um, there's a lot of things we enjoyed doing before we had kids, and now um, life is different, and so in theory, we still love the outdoors. Um, we just don't get outdoors quite as much as we used to, but a number of years ago, we were climbing um, a 14er up outside of Buena Vista, uh, Mount Harvard, that's part of the Collegiate Peaks. And it's an absolutely breathtaking peak. And we started at the car at dusk and um, uh, we were just, or at dawn, yeah, what, morning. We were in the morning, early morning before the sun started to come up, whenever that is. And we were walking towards this peak and as the sun started to come up over the mountain, We'd been going for a few hours, and it looked like we were getting um, to the end of the hike where we would finally stand on the top of this peak and be able to look out in a 360-degree view of God's glory and God's splendor and all those other 14ers that you can see from that area, just a beautiful part of our state. And as we got up to this ridge, and I thought we were going to get up to the peak, we got up to it, and we stood on top of it, and in front of us stood the peak, and it was clear that we still had another hour or two hours, depending on how fast we were going to hike to go. And I started to think, you know what, life, life feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Is that we push and we push and we push and we try to get to a certain point. And, and when we get to that certain point, it, it feels like we've given all that we had and yet there's still further to go. It, it got me thinking, is life more about an adventure or is it about an arrival? Is life about a destination or is it about a journey? Is life about perfection or is it about progress? See, because I don't know about you, but I've hit a lot of false summits in my life. Anybody with me? I've hit a lot of times where I thought I'd arrived and it turned out I had further to go. I can remember graduating from high school feeling like I had the world wrapped around my fingers. And then I got the shocking realization that there's still a little distance left to go that I hadn't quite arrived yet. As a, as a parent, um, we had our son Ethan, and he wasn't sleeping at all, and then he finally started to sleep through the night. And we thought, man, we are, we're pretty good parents now. And then he started to get teeth, and we realized, oh, we know nothing. We know absolutely nothing. We're back to square one. Uh, for, for some of you, you've, you've just gotten married, and you're sort of coming off the honeymoon, and you think you're at the peak, and I hate to break it to you, it's a false summit. <laughs> There's still a little bit left to learn. There's a journey left to go. For some of you, some of you, you took this journey into retirement maybe recently and you thought, okay, now I'm standing at the top of the peak. Now I've arrived and, and from here life is going to be a little bit easier and you've realized that there's still a little distance left to go. Life is full of false summits, isn't it? It's full of recognizing that as far as we may have come, there's still a journey left in front of us. 
I can remember taking swimming lessons as a kid and having our swim instructor put us all up against the wall and she would stand out in the pool and she would say, okay, now you swim to me. And with my goggles on, I can remember swimming and looking at her feet. And as she was waiting for us, come here, come here, come here, she was scooting further and further back. And I finally got to her and I said, that's not fair. You didn't stay where you were. And what I've realized, and you may have realized this too, is the further we go, the more we progress, the further we realize we still have to go. Anybody been there? Where, where you feel like you've grown to a certain point and you thought, you thought maybe it was in your journey with Jesus and you thought that you had sort of rid yourself of patience and then there's something came into your life that you needed to be patient about and you recognize there's still a little bit of, of journey left in front of me. Or maybe you thought anger was sort of in the rearview mirror and then something came into your life for you to be angry about and you thought, okay, well, maybe God still has a little bit of work left in me. The question we have to wrestle with this morning is, will we ever outgrow that feeling? Will we ever get to the point as human beings where we think, okay, now, now I'm on the peak. Now I'm on the mountaintop. There's no more ground in front of me. And I have gotten to the place where as a follower of Jesus, I feel like God is calling me to. Will we ever get there? No. No, we won't. And the Apostle Paul wants to write to us in the midst of recognizing that life is more about a journey than it is about a destination. That it's more about an adventure than it is about arriving. And that it's more about progress than it is about perfection. It's in that moment that the Apostle Paul wants to write to the Philippian church and us as well. Philippians chapter 3, will you open there with me if you have a Bible? If you're new to the Bible, it's about 80% of the way through the scriptures. It's a letter, Philippians is that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. It was a church that about 12 years before the writing of this letter, he planted a church that he loved, a church that he knew well, and a church that he fervently, dearly wanted to see succeed. He's writing to them from a Roman prison on house arrest in Rome. And here's what he says. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or am already perfect. Now, just a quick timeout, because here's what Paul's doing. He's tying back into Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And so if you were here last week, you heard us say that Paul proposes this approach to life where we recognize not that we are called to achieve, but that we are accepted by the grace of God because of the work of Jesus. That's a new perspective for many people. And Paul said, I want you to adopt that. He, said, he went on to say that, that life is not primarily about knowing about Jesus, but life can be summarized in the idea that we are invited as human beings to know Jesus intimately. And he went on to say, listen, everything else in my life I consider rubbish, I consider garbage, I consider trash, just so that I could know Christ and be found in him. Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 11. That's what he says. And then we get to verse 12, and he goes, okay, that was a great ideal. That was a lofty goal. Not that I've already obtained all this. I mean, that's a shocker if you know anything about Paul's life. See, the apostle Paul 
went on to write, in one of the letters that we're reading today, went on to write 31.8, roughly 31.8% of the New Testament. He went on to plant 14 churches. He, like, like you probably did, he had an encounter with Jesus where he was riding on the back of a donkey, blinded by a light, knocked off of that donkey, blinded for three days, walked into town, met a guy who knew he was coming, who told him about Jesus. It's similar to your testimony, I'm sure. He says he was called up into the third heaven. He had this experience experience with God where, where he saw eternity and he was absolutely dumbfounded and absolutely shocked and he was drawn in. I mean, this is a guy who gave his entire life for Jesus and at this point, he's been following Jesus for 30 plus years. And he says, not that I have already obtained all this, I'm still on the journey, Paul says. It's not about arriving this side of heaven. It's about an adventure of walking with Jesus. And so here's what he says. In light of all of that, I love Paul's tenacity. This recognition that after 30 years of walking with his Savior, of worshiping, of surrendering, of planting churches and building into people and giving his life for ministry, he realizes, I haven't obtained all this, but say it with me. I press on. I press on. It's this term in the Greek. It's, it's one word, and it carries with it this um, fervent chasing after. It's used 45 times in your New Testament, that word. 32 of those times. The word is translated in English as persecute. So in the negative, it's I, I persecute, we chase after fervently. In the positive, it's I am going after it with all my might. The word was used to describe hunters, somebody going after an animal. I'm not much of a hunter myself. In fact, I've never gone hunting, but I married into a family of hunting. My father-in-law was a principal, a high school principal, and he used to zip his camo on before going to work over his suit in case he saw an animal on the way that deserved to be shot. <laughs> you got to always be ready, right? You got to always be ready. But he, this, that's a picture Paul paints. He goes, I am just chasing after. I'm hunting after. I'm giving my life to press on, to make it my own. I don't know about you. I'm just going to throw it out there, though. If the Apostle Paul, writing 31.8% of the New Testament, planting 14 churches, taking the gospel onto two new continents, can write, after 30 years of following Jesus, not that I've already obtained all this, I'm going to throw it out there, you might never arrive either. In fact, maybe that's not what life is all about. Maybe life is far more about a journey than it is about arriving at a destination. See, here's what we're going to circle around this morning. It's the reality that the life of faith is more about embracing a journey than it is about arriving at a destination John MacArthur, the, the pastor and author, says, this passage deals a devastating blow to the false doctrine of perfectionism 
that still prevails in denominations and churches today. Perfectionism is that belief that you and I as followers of Jesus will get to a place where we are morally and spiritually perfect in this life. The idea that we could arrive in this life. See, the question I had as I was wrestling with this is, Paul, why are you able to continue to press on? Why is that your anthem? Why is that your song? What gives you the ability in the midst of, after 30 years of following Jesus and doing all these great things and having all these amazing experiences, why are you able to continue to go on? Because everything in me feels like giving up when I get to that false summit and feel like I've expended all of my energy. Paul answers that question. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, see, that's the invitation from God. It's to continue to press on, to continue to, to make progress, to continue to chase after Jesus with everything we have, not hoping that one day we will catch him, but knowing that every day he holds us. That it's his actions that it's him stepping into humanity, that it's him saying, I'm going to give my life for you, that's the foundation and the basis for us to say, I'm a work in progress. Every time I drive to and from church here, I go past this area on Broadway and Dry Creek that I think they're going to be doing construction on until Jesus comes back. And there's this place that they're building a number of new homes and a few um, commercial areas. And every time I re go past it, I'm like, okay, yeah, so it's got, this, it's got this sign out that says, danger, construction area, keep out. It's missing a sign now, but um, just, kidding. just kidding. I'll give it back when I'm done. Just kidding. And I thought, man, you know, as followers of Jesus, as, as human beings, this is our sign, isn't it? Regardless of how far we've come, we're still under construction. And yet, because of the work of Christ, it doesn't need to say danger. It can say welcome, but you've got to recognize that I'm, I'm still a work in progress, that I haven't made it, I haven't arrived, that life is more about a journey than it is about a destination. And here's the thing, but the Apostle Paul had this sign up too. I'm still under construction. God's still at work within me. He's still moving. He's still changing me. He's still challenging me. And he's still growing me. And you're a work under construction too. We turn to the person next to you and say, I'm under construction. I'm under construction. And then will you turn to the person next to you and say, you're under construction. It's a little bit more fun, isn't it? You're still under construction. If you're married, you know that well right? You're still under construction. But Paul says, listen, Jesus has a hold of me. He is not afraid that I am still a construction project. And he has promised in the midst of how dark it gets and how many times I fail, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Your failures are not going to drive him off. He is not afraid of them. He is with you. And what Paul draws out in this passage is we live in this beautiful, what, what theologians and scholars call the now but not yet. That Jesus has taken hold of us. 
He has paid the penalty for our sins. He has completed us. He has perfected us. And you and I are on a lifelong journey of growing into the people he has already made us to be. Welcome to being human. You will encounter a number of false summits in your life. The question is when you get to them. And sometimes false summits feel like pain, and sometimes false summits feel like sorrow, and sometimes false summits feel like ecstatic joy followed by a valley. The question is when we get to those summits, will we continue like the Apostle Paul to press on, or will we tap out? See, the future belongs to people who say, I haven't arrived. I'm on a journey. My God is good. He's holding me, and I am walking forward with him. The question becomes, well, how do we live life as this type of a journey? You're smart. I'm so glad you asked that question because that's exactly where the Apostle Paul is going to go next. Here's how he says it. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have... uh, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, and here's how you know that the Apostle Paul's a preacher. He's going to say, all right, one thing I do, and then he's going to list two things, okay? It would be like him saying, all right, we're going to land the plane here, and then you look at your watch, and it's like 15 minutes later, and we're still flying, okay? Don't judge me. Long line of preachers. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. See, here's what the Apostle Paul knows. He knows that it's impossible to press on or to hunt or chase after Jesus with everything that we have if we're living in the past. And so he says, here's just one thing I want you to do. I want you to forget those things that lie behind part of the DNA of a presser honor. That's a word. It isn't, but it is now is that we forget what lies behind. See, if we're living with our life focused on what's behind us, we will never grow into what's in front of us. Did you know that the enemy has a plan for your past? That God does too? See, here's the enemy's plan for your past. He wants you to live in it. The enemy's plan for your past is that it would define you. That happens in in two primary ways. Is that the pain of the past sinks our anchor into it so that we can't grow any further. And so that may look like an abuse that's been perpetrated against you. It may look like things that have been done to you. And whenever you let your mind relax a little bit, you are immediately back there. It might also look like some of the bad decisions that you made, some of the sins that you committed. I mean, you think about the Apostle Paul, someone who commissioned the killing of Christians, someone who held people's coats as they brutally, savagely murdered people in the streets, and he was going, good work, guys. You think of all that the Apostle Paul had to overcome to stand in front of the Philippian church and say, you guys, if we're going to chase after Jesus, we've got to leave the past in the past. We cannot let it define us because that is the enemy's intention with your past is that you would live in it. But did you know that the good shepherd has a plan for your past as well? 
The enemy's past is that it would define you. Jesus' plan for your past is that it would refine you. The enemy wants you to live in your past. The good shepherd wants you to learn from your past. See, his idea about your past is that it would inform the person that you are becoming, that you could use the pain, that you could use the sorrow, and the comfort that you received from God would then be given to others. That's part of his plan for your past. That the false summits that you've hit and the bumps in the road would be used as experiences to pass on wisdom to the coming generations. That's part of Jesus' plan for your past. So I think this idea that if we're going to press on, we need to forget, begs us to ask the question, is there anything that we just keep bringing up in our own mind that's causing us to live in the past rather than chase Jesus into the future? See, because we typically think of forgetting as a passive thing. Oh, I forgot that person's name. I forgot that phone number. I forgot that nobody memorizes phone numbers anymore. Sorry, I'm dating myself. But I've, we typically think of it as passive. But the invitation Paul gives is an active forgetting. It's whenever that thing pops up into my mind, I'm going to choose to say, That's in the past, and Jesus is at work in that, and Jesus is at work in me, and I'm going to press on towards him. The enemy wants it to define you. Jesus wants it to refine you. And here's the way Paul continues. Remember, he says one thing, and then he's going to invite us to two. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and say it with me, self, straining towards what lies ahead. In the Greek, that word straining could be summarized as stretching or reaching towards a goal with all of one's might. That's a picture of somebody who presses on. They're a a strainer. They are straining towards Jesus. And Paul has in mind a picture when he writes this to the church at Philippi. He has in mind the picture of either the Olympic Games or the Isthmian Games where um, people would compete They would compete in order to win a prize, and one of the primary competitions was they would gather in a long stadium, and there would be a foot race of runners where they would start at one end, and they would give everything they had running towards the next end. And when they crossed the finish line for the winner, there would be stairs that they would step up. They would go up, and the Caesar would put a wreath around their neck, and they would be declared the champion. It's that picture that Paul has in mind of the Christian life. I mean, welcome to the tension of living under the banner that Jesus paid it all and the invitation to come and to strive and to chase after him with all of our might. So for you, is the Christian life more akin to a walk in the park or a race in the Olympics? As Paul has a picture in his mind. Here's what it looks like to recognize that we are called to press on. He uses the same imagery when he writes to the Corinthian church. Listen to what he says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Strive. Go after Jesus. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. 
I do not box as one beating the air. And all the first century readers would have chuckled a little bit just because of the picture of how ridiculous it would look for somebody to be just punching the air. But I discipline my body, he says. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Is that how you picture the Christian life? It's a disciplined, delightful pursuit of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I saw this video uh, this week floating around on Facebook, and I thought, yeah, maybe that's a little bit what the Christian life looks like. You're watching two cross-country runners, the 3A cross-country state meet as they're getting to the final stretch. You can just see dehydrated to the core, can't, can't, does it make us a bad, bad people that Kelly and I watched this probably 10 times and laughed each time? <laughs> it might, it might. But I mean, look at how hard they're just pushing their bodies. They're going, Jesus, or this is the picture I have in my mind of a follower of Christ, that man, we want to chase after you in that type of a way. I mean, what, what would it look like for you? A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. He writes that in his great book, The Pursuit of God. The question becomes, what, what is Paul striving after? And, and he tells us in Philippians chapter three, he says, I press on towards the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said before, I consider everything in my life rubbish, garbage, trash, compared to knowing him. That Jesus isn't the means to an end. Jesus is the end. And he goes, that's what I want my life to be about. That's what I'm pressing on towards. That I might know him in the deepest core and fiber of my being. That I might be found in him. That's the picture he has in his mind, but he also has a, a new perspective. Listen to the way that he says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, just continuing on in our passage. He says, let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also, only let us hold true to what we've already obtained. The Bible talks about maturity a lot. It's this multi-dimensional, multi-faceted word. It will describe people who are mature as being people who understand complex doctrine. The Bible describes people who are mature as people who live in the way of Jesus. They don't just have a head knowledge, but it actually gets out into their lives. But here, the Apostle Paul gives us a new twist on maturity, that implicit within the idea of being mature is the recognition that we're on a journey, is that we haven't arrived. Did you know it's impossible to be mature and to think that God is done with you? It's impossible to be mature and to think that you've arrived and that God has some way made you perfect to this side of heaven. Paul goes, no, 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 no. Let all of those who are mature think this way. What way? Well, not that I've already obtained all this or that I've been made perfect, but I press on. Think that way. And then listen to what he says. This is awesome. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And if you think differently than me, you're wrong. And eventually God's going to show you. 
Apostle Paul, mic drop, out, right? I mean, how bold, but he goes, listen, just let us hold true to what we've already obtained. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, farewell to those who want an entirely pure and purified church. This is plainly wanting no church at all. Why? Well, because, listen, every single one of us has this sign in front of us. We're on a journey. We haven't arrived. God's good. God's holding us. But you and I are under construction. And we always will be. If your expectation is that the people around you are perfect, may I just invite you to recognize that you hold this sign too? And that just maybe, just maybe, you're imperfect? And so it might do well for you to extend grace towards other people if this is the sign that you hold. Friends, we're all on this journey. So here's what I would say. Will you look up at me for a moment? It can be frustrating to recognize the further in we go, the further we have to go. Don't give up. Press on. If you're frustrated with how slow you're growing, press on. If you look back and you're standing on a false summit and you thought, okay, I thought I was going to get rid of that anger. I thought I was going to be more loving. I thought that this life of Jesus was going to come out of me more and I realize I haven't obtained all of it. I haven't been made perfect. I haven't reached my goal. Press on. Don't give up. Keep chasing after the one who says, I hold you at every turn. And Paul continues to describe what this journey looks like. And he says this. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Now, once again, Paul's going to paint a picture. This word imitating would have been clearly in mind for those in a first century um, Christian context because coming out of Judaism, they would have understood the rabbi's words. A rabbi would teach people to take on their yoke. And that meant two things. It meant that they would understand in a sort of didactic form what the rabbi taught about the truth of the world that we live in. But it would also be a rabbi's invitation to come and to watch them live. To become like them. Not to just hear what they say, but to do what they do. This is the invitation that Paul is inviting followers of Christ to because we're all on a journey, we're all pressing forward, and one of the ways you and I chase after Jesus best is when we are surrounded by other people who are pursuing him fervently. See, he invites us to imitate because when we imitate, we internalize and we're transformed. It's the beauty, friends of living in a community of faith with other people. The Apostle Paul will say to the church at Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. See, giving your life to a local church, being invested in community, isn't just a good idea, it's a God idea. It's his invitation to say, come and let other people rub off on you. Some people who are a little bit further down the road, surround yourself with them, imitate them. It's going to mean having a conversation with somebody you respect and going, listen, I want to press on, so I need somebody to imitate. Can we share life together? I want to know what struggles you've had, and I want to share some of mine with you. 
And I want you to teach me what does it look like to navigate the tumultuous waters of fatherhood or of being a husband or of being a wife or being a mom. It's I need people around me that are going to say, here's what the journey looks like. As a parent, I am always humbled by the fact that whether I choose to be imitated or not, I'm being imitated. And sometimes when my kids parrot back to me things that I say or things that I do or things that I believe, I go, oh man, I am certainly under construction still. I can remember watching a Bronco game last year, and Broncos were going through a difficult stretch, and Peyton Manning threw one of those ducks that got intercepted, one of his 19, one of his 19, and I said, man, Peyton Manning is garbage. Okay, so the next day we're at the park, and I drop back in the pocket, throwing a ball to my son who's playing with another friend, and I'm like, Peyton Manning, back in the pocket, and he goes, Peyton Manning's garbage. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 he's not. And, you know, all my friends are like, what? Why would you say that? I'm like, no, I don't know where he heard that. This kid's running with the wrong crowd, right? <laughs> I was talking to him on the couch afterwards. Hey, don't ever say that again, right? God bless him brought us a Super Bowl, right? I mean, yeah. But they're imitating us. And so Paul says it's really important who you've got in your view, Because there's some who are imitating the way of Jesus. But for many, he says in verse 18, for whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears in my eyes, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. And their mind is set on earthly things. He's going, you have a choice who you keep in your view Are they people who trust in the sufficiency of Jesus for the journey he calls us to walk? Are they people who recognize that it's only by faith that we step into righteousness purchased by the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior? Are they people who recognize that life is a journey that we're invited to walk with Christ? Or do they live as enemies of the Christ? There's two ways to live as enemies of the cross. One is to say, the heck with it all together, I'm going to pave my own way and do my own thing. More dangerous probably in our context though as followers of Jesus, people live as enemies of the cross when they say in any way, shape, or form, we've got to add in order for our salvation, we've got to add to the already finished work of Jesus. And Paul says, those aren't the type of people you want to have in your view. Because I think he would say where you stand with the cross determines how you walk with God. So as followers of Jesus who are called to press on, who live in the already not yet nature of what it means to be a child of the king, we imitate, we strive, we forget, and then he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what he does not say. He does not say one day our citizenship will be that of heaven. He's going right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, your passport says heaven as your place of origin. That's the passport you carry. Not a someday, a today. And what Paul is not suggesting is that at some point in your life after you die, you will go to heaven. 
When he calls us citizens of heaven, he has in mind the fact that we have dual citizenship. We have a a heavenly citizenship, and we also live in Colorado. And as we live in Colorado, we need to live with heaven's ethics. We need to live with heaven in mind, with our Savior in mind. We need to be a colony of heaven in Littleton, Centennial, Denver, Colorado, or wherever you're from. That we need to pray, thy kingdom come. And thy will be done on earth through us as it is in heaven. That's what being a citizen of heaven means. We're a colony of the king in the midst of the empire. And he says, second thing he says is, but we, and we eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love that picture Paul's painting? He goes, yes, we live as citizens now, and we live in the now but not yet, and we're looking for the day when Jesus comes for his bride. We long for it. We hope for it. I mean, did you see on Wednesday when the Cubs won the World Series, after 108 years of their fans waiting, how much joy there was in them when they finally held up that trophy? I just got this picture as I was watching that happen of, man, I want to want Jesus so much that when he comes for his bride, I am absolutely caught up with emotion and worship and praise of the one for whom I've been waiting. And he says, finally, finally, he will, who will. I love it. it doesn't, he doesn't say, <clears throat> he might transform our bodies Or there's a good chance he's going to transform our bodies. Paul is so confident. It's as though he's writing it in a way where it's it's such a sure thing, it might as well have already happened. That he will transform our bodies. That one day we will have a resurrected body like his. That one day, those who have passed away in faith, he will breathe life into their dead, dry bones. They will walk out of the grave and they will have the body that they'd always longed for knowing we weren't created for this thing that we call death. We weren't created to be temporal beings. We know that eternity has been placed in our hearts. And one day, God will make true on the promise that you and I are invited to eternal life through Jesus. And one day, there will be no more crying, no more sorrow, no more tears. The old order of things will pass away, and behold, the new will come. And Paul says... If you want to live as somebody who presses on in the midst of knowing you haven't arrived yet, you have got to realize that we anticipate a day that will come. It will happen, he says. And so as people who long to press on, we forget what's behind. We chase after what's ahead. We imitate those around us who live in the way of Jesus, and we anticipate the day when the bride comes for his groom, the church. I love pastoring a church that has a spectrum of ages, of young people and young families, and of people who have walked the journey of faith way, way longer than I've walked it. 
I call them our saints and our sages. And they're an encouragement to me because they know that they haven't arrived yet and yet they haven't given up. They keep pressing forward. One of those people that does this so well and epitomizes what I want to be when I'm 74 years old is Carolyn Schmidt. I, yeah, I, I, um, every other week I, I spend some time with her because I want some of her to rub off on some of me. And she has this wonderful perspective of life being a journey with Jesus. And so we sat down with her this week, Aaron did, and, and asked her some questions. And I thought that his interview and discussion with her might be an encouragement to you. She's 74 years old. She's been walking with Jesus for 61 years and she's as passionate about him as anyone I've ever met. My name is Carolyn Schmidt, and uh, considering I was part of the old South Presbyterian Church from 1953 to 1979, it will be 64 years this coming spring that I will have been part of this congregation one way or the other. Yeah, I am 74 years old. I just turned 74 in August. And uh, I had been in churches most of my life as a little girl, learning the stories and singing the, uh, this little light of mine and Jesus loves me and the various, uh, various songs that children grow up with. But it was the summer of um, my going on 13th birthday that I was at a summer camp that I walked forward and started a 60, well now 61, stumbling, bumbling, fall flat on my face, be picked up and carried, and getting to know the Lord journey. 61 years. I wanted to spend some time alone with the Lord. I had hoped to get away last May and wasn't able to. I had hoped a friend could go up with me, but she wasn't going to be able to, so this was going to be an opportunity the Lord gave for me to um, spend some alone time with Him. So I was asking the Lord to tell me the truth about myself because you, you grow in certain areas, you know change has happened, but you know that there's more that needs to happen. And unless the Lord enables me, I'm not gonna be able to do any of the changing. So I said, God, I need to know the truth. Father, will you tell me the truth about me? And back as clear as a bell came, okay, honey, what do you already know? So I want to learn to know God because he says he can be known, maybe not understood because he's far beyond my ability to understand, but he says I can know him. And I want to grow into knowing him. He's so... Some of my friends laugh at me, he's so delicious. <laughs> I have learned things in the past, but I'm learning them now. And I will be continuing to learn as long as he gives me life on this earth. And then I am convinced that we will never come to the end of learning to know God. The only difference will be that I will not be tainted by the potential of sin. So I want to keep on, on, on going while I'm here. It's just, he's brought me to love him, so I just want to know him better. He's the result. He's the, he's the end result, I guess you could say. When I'm 74 years old, yeah. <laughs> Lord willing, my, my, I hope my anthem is the same. 
there's still more to know. There's still a journey that I'm invited on. As C.S. Lewis writes at the very end of the Narnia Chronicles, he says this picture of the life of following Jesus is further up and further in. That we just get to keep journeying with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, life is not about an arrival. God's going to take care of that. It's about the adventure. It's not about just arriving at a destination. It's about a journey with him. And it's not about perfection. It's about progress. And so as followers of Jesus, I'm inviting us to echo the anthem of the Apostle Paul. I press on. Jesus, you're worth it. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. So for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been gathering around a table. They've been gathering around a table to remember that the Savior of the world has paid it all. It's finished. And yet, they're gathering to remind themselves that they are on a journey. That he holds them every step of his way, that he covers them by his grace and by his mercy, and that therefore they can continue to press on. And so as you come to the table this morning, would you come as one who is known by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and who invites you, come deeper, come deeper, come deeper. Know more of me because there's more to be known. If you're a follower of Christ, the table is open to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would invite you this morning to give your life to him, confess your sin, repent and follow him, surrender all that you know of yourself to all that you know of him, and by faith step into a relationship with him. If you do that, you are invited to come and celebrate this king and this Lord. There's gluten-free bread.